It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What makes a good investor? It helps to be smart, helps to be hardworking, helps to be disciplined. Above all, though, you've got to be emotionally stable. Now, I I know that sounds coming from me, of all people, strange, but, but it's what I know you must be, and I know it better than anyone. You can't make good investment decisions when you're flustered or angry or, worst of all, sullen and gloomy. The house of pain. If not saturnine. Unfortunately, this market is enough to make anyone solid and gloomy, including on a relatively sedate day like today. Dow lost 232 points. S&P declined 0.3%, but the mighty Nasdaq only dipped 0.10%. Tonight, I want to articulate what makes this moment so darn aggravating, so absurdly frustrating. Because if you understand why it's happening, you can prevent the market from driving you crazy. First, there are endless rotations in and out of groups that defy any rational explanation. It's like ETF roulette. Where she stops, nobody knows. When trading opened today, stocks were driven by their own fundamentals. If a drug company has good news, it goes higher. If a broker puts out a positive piece on a health insurer, that health insurer rallies. All of this is highly rational, correct? And out of nowhere, we catch a rotation out of healthcare. Suddenly, everything that was going up is down. Merck and J&J, they just get hammered. United Health gets obliterated. McKesson and Cardinal Health, two standouts, big drug distributors. They are overrun by sellers. I spent an hour of my life today checking out what's wrong with all these all these stocks, and you know what the answer is? Nothing. Zilch. Nada. There's no reason whatsoever, except that the healthcare cohort has been down for the year, and since it's the end of the month, a lot of funds want to unload their losers. Sure enough, the three other sectors that are down today are the ones that are down year-to-date that got crushed. Energy, utilities, and packaged goods. They all got hit. It's what happens at the end of a month. All these stocks were down purely because they've been down. Well, there you go. That's total circular reasoning. Now, sure, this is the kind of idiotic action that can indeed create buying opportunities, but it's also very dangerous and very dispiriting. Why, why, why is this torture happening? 
because of the second problem with this market that's driving me nuts. Most of the time, stocks aren't trading anywhere near on their fundamentals. They're trading as macroeconomic pawns. When long-term interest rates go up, the healthcare names get put through the meat grinder. So if you want to buy something like Merck, great company, into artificial end-of-the-month weakness, remember that when rates tick higher, the stock is going to go lower still. When I talk about rates here, I'm really thinking of the yield on the 20-year Treasury, because that's what mortgage rates tend to be priced off of. The 20-year keeps going down in price and up in yield, because these long bonds are ridiculously overvalued. The owners of these bonds lose money almost every day, because these bonds have meager yields versus short rates. Who wants the 20-year at 4.1% when you get the two-year at 4.8%? When long rates get closer to short rates, this move will stop. But in the meantime, it keeps clobbering stocks. Call it collateral damage from the great exodus from long bonds thought valuable because idiots thought the Fed would be cutting. I mean, literally, they thought they'd be cutting rates, not raising them into the end of the year. And the industry that's most sensitive to the bond market is, of all things, tech. Now, there's a tenuous link here. Tech is full of growth stocks, and their future earnings are worth a lot less comparatively in a world of higher interest rates. But they're being whipped around by four or five basis point swings. That is just insane. Today, bond yields were higher at the opening, so tech stocks were almost all down. Then we got some weaker economic data, relatively unimportant, but indeed weaker, and bond yields went lower. So tech made a comeback because bonds had a benign day. Tech did, too, led by the semiconductors. I find this kind of action repugnant because it has nothing to do with what's really happening in individual companies. Some of that's because of the increasing ETF, ETFization of the market. Rates tick higher, so the algorithmic traders sell the tech ETFs, taking everything lower. Then rates tick down, and they do the opposite. No humans involved. These moves confound me because there's really no relation to a company's health on a given day or hour or minute to all this stuff. It doesn't matter, though. As I said on today's home stretch call for investing club members a little after 2 p.m., it's totally maddening. While the macro situation does matter to the whole market, it shouldn't be the only thing that matters. Yet that's how often it just feels like that all the time. That's at the heart of the frustration we all feel. It is just driving us crazy. So we have these meaningless rotations driven by irrational macro minute-to-minute repricing and end-of-the-month window dressing, which is what they call it when money managers throw away the stocks they don't want to show they don't want their clients to see that they were so stupid as to buy health care. That's not all. We're also afflicted by a huge cohort of know-nothings. For example, this morning, Target reported what I thought was a very good quarter with inventories clean as a whistle. That's the key metric for me because lean inventories mean they don't need to be promotional when they sell their excess merchandise because they don't have a lot of excess merchandise, which is, of course, the bane of the entire industry. Yet Target initially saw its stocks sell off big in pre-market trading, brought down by, I can I don't know, Bozo's, Chowder Hits. It winds its way down about a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, four dollars, and then works its way back up to about flat. Then I go on air and I explain that the inventories are what matters. They're 3% below where they've been with discretionary goods down 13%. I said that's all you need to know, that they are lean. Boom, the stock finishes up a dollar, but at one point, after I pointed out the inventory management, the stock rallied four points. Workday. 
All right, I've known this cloud-based enterprise software company since its inception. The relevant metric here is how much financial business they're doing, because that's what they're moving into aggressively. Workday is software for human resources and software for financial planning. They already own that HR world, but what was encouraging this quarter was the growth of the financial portal. It was incredibly strong. Anyone who follows Workday knows that that is what matters. But the stock initially trades down big for some reason that I find hard to fathom. I mentioned the financial strength on air, and the stock vaults four points immediately. How is this possible? How could the markets be this dumb? Yes, and it's making me lose my mind, or at least what's left of it. So what makes the stocks start acting more rationally again? All right, well, let's go into it. First, we need more players more fund managers who are seasoned, more fund managers who know what they are doing and are not just kind of hanging out trying to be closet index funds. Second, we need to realize that most, if not all, the moves on your screen are driven by something other than company news. A lot of it's the macro, extremely short-term market mechanics or artificial intelligence that, well, lacks intelligence. Third, we got to accept that the initial reaction to earnings is very often wrong. Yes, this is totally exasperating, but you can't let it get to you. You can't let exhaustion or frustration get in your way. The goal right now is simple. You got to outlast the robots to trade off of algorithms. You got to ignore the idiots who haven't done any homework. And you've got to have confidence in yourself and accept the short term rotations might give you the buying opportunities that you've been waiting for because you have confidence in yourself. The bottom line, don't let this market drive you crazy like it's doing everybody else. Put your emotions to the side and try to make reasonable decisions about individual stocks without letting the irrational action infuriate you. If you can't do that, please go buy an index fund. Otherwise, you will indeed get blown out by this market's indeed lunatic behavior. Shan in Pennsylvania. Shan! What's up, Jimmy? Chill. How you doing? Ah, I'm doing great. How about you? Jim, I was wondering what your thoughts on uh, PayPal are, you know, at at its current price. Um, I still think PayPal can go lower. I still think the company is uh, decelerating in terms of its growth. If you want to be something in fintech, you have to be in Square. I actually prefer real banks, though, like J.P. Morgan. Could be a trillion-dollar bank. Out 12 years. Ray in Florida. Say Ray. Booyah, Jimmy. Holy cow, there's a spirit booyah. First-time caller. Thank you. I am uh, looking uh, to buy uh, some stock in a, like a uh, like called household consumable. And I'm really eyeballing Pepsi. Or can you think of a better one? No, Pepsi's dynamite. I'm not going to ever contradict someone who wants to be in Pepsi. And some people feel it's too loved. I don't think there's such a thing. It's just a really good company. All right. Don't let this market drive you crazy like it is everybody else. Put your emotions to the side. Check them at the door. Try to make reasonable decisions about individual stocks. Oh, man, tonight, Dutch Bros chilled after earnings. So are investors getting a buying opportunity in the West Coast coffee chain, notably Oregon? I've got the latest from the CEO. Then Chevron had its investor day earlier highlighting a host of metrics I'm learning more about the latest of the oil and gas kingpin with the company's brass, including its buyback. And Enbridge has a 7% yield amid a tough oil and gas backdrop. So should it, is that sustainable, that dividend? Or maybe investors should be concerned. You won't want to miss with my, this exclusive of mine because i got to tell you, I think this one's pretty attractive. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features, like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. This is a treat. It's, it's been almost a year and a half since Dutch Bros came public, and this Oregon-based coffee chain had a wild ride. Stock surged $81 since peak November 2021. For plummeting to $20 last May, rebounded to 33 as of today. But the wild ride hasn't stopped. Dutch Bros is now up 18% year-to-date, thanks in part to an incredibly positive pre-announcement in early January. However, when the company reported its full fourth quarter results last Tuesday, their earnings came in weaker than release, recently raised expectations, although i got to tell you, that's really just... I can contest that. It didn't help that their full-year EBITDA forecast came in a little light. That did hurt. In response, the stock got clobbered, falling from 38 to 33. Could this be a good entry point, or do we need to be more cautious? Let's dig deeper with Joth Ricky, who is here, the CEO of Dutch Bros, to find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Ricky, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having us. All right, so Joth, I want to clear up something very quickly. Yes. I didn't think there was any real change from the pre-announcement. I think that everything is just on course. And you can tell me if I'm too bullish right now, but I thought there was nothing that should have driven the stock down. Uh, you know, I would agree with that, but, you know, we don't... I don't have any control over that. I, right. I think that our I think that our announcement was solid. I think I think that from what we pre-announced in January to where we landed last huh. week, I think the story's strong. The story is great, and and there wasn't really anything that was that was significantly off. That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, because I, I not that I didn't mind that the stock came in so people would buy it more cheaply, but I didn't yeah. think anything substantive. What is substantive is that you saw cold early. Yes. You saw cold coming. What is the percentage of cold that you now serve? So for the year to for, for the full year of 22, 83 percent was cold. Eighty three percent of our drinks were cold. Uh, it peaked in the third quarter, I believe, in August. We were at 92 percent cold. And this is cold everything. This is cold espresso. This is cold lattes. This is cold energy drinks. This is cold tea. I mean, you name it. Um, very little hot beverages. And the trend continues. I think in the last few years, we've seen a five to 10 percent swing even of growth. Um, even in the cold trend. All right, so I understand, you know, 
Jones. Six years ago, when my daughter and I would visit every single one you had in Ashland, Oregon. Yes. It was all hot. And I had the annihilator. It didn't matter what hour I had it. How did it happen that this country changed so quickly? You know, I, I, it's a good question. I mean, I think that the cold has been happening in the, in the third wave coffee channel for a long time. Okay. Um, so you have emerging drinks that have been happening. I think Starbucks has been playing around with cold for a long right. time. Um, and I think at some point it just the, the, the flip switched. And, and maybe, or this, that maybe it was had something to do with cold brew, maybe had something to do with kind of um, all the packaged good business that came out cold. I think that there's just been, um, there are a lot of factors related to why that moved. Okay. Yeah. Now, you are expanding rapidly in Texas. You call it fortressing. Yeah. I myself am concerned that you're growing too fast given yep. the labor situation in this country. And yep. I'm worried. Yeah. Reassure me that you're not growing too fast with that target that used 4,000 shops over 10. How do we know what's going to go on 10 years from now? Well, I think, you know, honestly, all the indicators are looking great. So okay. um, even if you look at 100 shops in Texas over the last two years, um, we haven't, our, our, our listen, our, our, our hiring rate has stayed true. Um, we have a, a 72% turnover rate, which is still very low. It actually came down in the fourth quarter. Um, we're hiring about one of every 19 applicants that come to Which Dutch is very different when I saw you the first time where you had problems with job hoppers. Job hoppers. But now we're, we're settled in. And, you know, and even, too, we're, we're actually, you know, kind of we, we self-imposed a minimum wage in federal minimum wage states. Right. So we're investing now in labor, investing in, in employment for all of our people across all our markets. People keep asking me, when will you be in the tri-state area? I keep saying he will be in the tri-state area when they're ready. When we're ready. And not any time before that. There is no reason for me to think that there couldn't be 400 stores in Texas alone. Am I off base? Given San Antonio and Dallas haven't been hit yet. Uh, so San Antonio, we put we put 14 locations in San Antonio in 12 but months. How many more could you use? Uh, I think a lot. Because you have lines. Isn't that why you do it? We have lines and fortressing, and we're trying to balance out market share across every market that we're in because, you know, in a funny way, we don't want to be too busy. Um, right. our, our lines are long. Uh, the number one reason why people don't come to Dutch Bros is because the line's too long. Yes. And so we're managing our volume across all of our locations and all of our markets to be able to do that. And, you know, you put, you put 14 shops in San Antonio in a year, you're building for a long-term strategy that builds a long-term market share. Now, you spend a lot of time in the conference calls talking about the loyalty program. Is that... I know. I, I thought it was a little overemphasized versus taste. Maybe I've got the. It's wrong. been, uh, I, you know, I don't think we can emphasize our loyalty program enough. In fact, really? in fact, year three into it, we have a almost 65 percent tender mm-hmm. going through our loyalty. Um, we have over three million users now and on 90 day active. Um, we are. We changed our rewards program. We took our points from five to three. Um, Explain to people what that is. Who don't have your point system? So if you if it's a it's a you know basically for the value of the dollar we basically um, you accrue points for every dollar that you spend. Okay. Um, we did not change um, the rate of what people already had in their bank. We're actually just changing it moving forward. And and our rewards program, the more that we build that, the more we do one to one marketing, the more that we can localize our approach, uh, the more that we can work on traffic building opportunities. Um, and honestly, it's, it's, it's a much better return on investment in that approach versus in a macro approach. Okay. One of the things that I think is more important than the actual turnover that the, you mentioned, the 70, your managers don't turn over much at all. No. And that is the secret sauce of what you're trying to do here, right? Yeah. So we, we, you know, we put operators into new markets. Uh, we have 
We've had zero turnover basically in our operator ranks. There you and go. we have less than 10% in our management ranks. And those people are the key to driving all of the things that we do. And uh, next big markets? Uh, well, big actually, we're going to Kentucky and uh, Alabama this year. Um, those will be the two new markets we'll How do you go know into. That that's what they'll want. How do you know that they're going to want 85% cold? Oh, I think I, I am. I'm super excited to take Dutch Bros to those markets. I think they're going to love it. Tennessee has been a great market for us. We see the expansion of that. We've seen the development of, of our customers across all the states that we've gone into. And I think, um, I think people are going to love Dutch Bros. Right, I'm partial to Oregon. Other than Nike and you guys, it's really pretty much it, right? Well, I think the two best consumer brands in Oregon are a swoosh and a windmill. Very good. I like that. It's a good way to end. That's Josh Ricky, CEO of Dutch Bros. And yes, I am excited about the company because it's very rare that you get a regional and national story that hasn't been picked over yet. And that's this one. Man Money's back here for the break. Coming up, should you get revved for Chevron? Don't stop your homework after the company investor day. Kramer's got the CEO next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. with the oil stocks now that the price of crude pulled back to the mid-70s. And Wall Street's terrified of a Fed-mandated recession that could push prices still lower. Consider the case of Chevron, the best of the big integrated oil companies. That's my view, and I'm going to stick by it. In late January, Chevron announced a gargantuan $75 billion buyback, equivalent to nearly a quarter of its current market capitalization stock soared. But then a couple days later, the company hit us with a mixed quarter, coupled with a full-year production forecast that some people thought was light. Since then, the stock's down more than 14%. Today, though, Chevron hosted its annual investor meeting where management reaffirmed its long-term financial targets. We'll talk about that in a second. Also, raising its annual buyback forecast. I found it encouraging. Yet even though the price of crude also rallied nicely, the stock couldn't catch a break. So could this be a buying opportunity, or do we need to exercise some caution? Let's check in with Mike Worth. He's the chairman and CEO of Chevron. To hear what he told his major investors today. Mr. Worth, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be here. Right, so, Mike, I think that there's a sense that things are crazy at Chevron, up and down, up and down. I look at it as completely consistent in an up and down, up and down business. Is that the message you conveyed today? It's exactly the message we conveyed today, Jim. We're, we're growing supply. We're lowering carbon intensity. And we're rewarding shareholders. Last year, our oil production was the highest, U.S. oil production, the highest it's ever been in our 143-year history. Our Permian will grow another 10% this year. We've reduced upstream carbon intensity 30% since 2016 when the Paris Agreement was ratified. 
and we're the second largest bio-based diesel producer in the country. And we're rewarding shareholders with a dividend increase earlier this year, a 6% increase of the 36th consecutive year when we've increased our dividend and we've increased share buyback. So we're doing it all. Okay, so let's, let's discuss uh, the notion of something that Warren Buffett said this very weekend. He said, when you're told that all repurchases are harmful to shareholders or to the country or particularly beneficial to CEOs, you are listening to either an economic illiterate or a silver-tongued demagogue. What do you say? Well, Mr. Buffett has a way of putting things. Uh, We're buying back shares consistent with our track record over a long period of time. We've bought shares back for 15 of the last 19 years at an average price $2 lower than the volume weighted average price through the entire period of time. We bought shares back during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021. Uh, We do it consistently. We're not pro-cyclical. We're not counter-cyclical. We invest through the cycles because we're in a cyclical industry. A long-term cyclical industry. Okay, so uh, the White House says that uh, what we're really, what you're really about, or what oil's really about, is uh, plowing windfall profits into the pockets of executives and shareholders instead of using them to boost supply. Um, are you holding back boosting supply and lining your pockets instead? I, I, I told you that we had our highest production ever in the United States last year. We laid out today a plan to grow our Permian from 700,000 barrels a day last year to a million barrels a day by 2025 and 1.2 million barrels a day later in this decade. Uh, We intend to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 3% per year over the next five years. We're investing to grow. We're growing faster than the market is. And we can do that and reward our shareholders at the same time. Should we care that on an individual quarter things don't necessarily add up to the uh, models that the analysts are looking for? It's a volatile business. Uh, the modeling is difficult for the analysts to do. We try to provide enough information, but it's, it's difficult to predict with these volatile markets uh, how companies may perform through some of the, the volatility. Okay, so let's think about the long term and where you are. Talk about the countries and where you're investing in. Well, we've got uh, multiple uh, growth assets. I've talked about the Permian, so I'll leave that. Uh, we're also investing in the Deepwater Gulf of Mexico to take that from 200,000 barrels a day today to 300,000 barrels a day in just a few years with projects starting up this year, next year, the year after that. We're investing to grow in, uh, in Kazakhstan. We're investing to grow in Argentina. We're investing to grow in, uh, in the eastern Mediterranean, offshore uh, Israel and Egypt. Uh, so we've got assets around the world, and they'll all contribute to, uh, to supplies that are very very much needed in a world that is struggling right now with uh, the question of energy security. Well, let's talk about decarbonization for a sec before we go to energy security. You announced a major bump last time I saw you, the amount of money you're spending uh, really to decarbonize. Uh, but the heat hasn't changed from Washington against what Chevron does. What do you have to do? I mean, I mean, sometimes my friends who like the oil business say, well, maybe they have to declare themselves anti-oil. There's no getting around who you are. You're Chevron. I mean, what do you do? Well, we intend to lead in both traditional energy and in new energy. I mentioned we're the second largest bio-based right. diesel producer. We've reduced our carbon intensity, our upstream. 80, our, our methane intensity is 85% lower than the industry average because of actions that we've taken. Okay. We will continue to build a business that will add energy supplies and new energy solutions, but also meet the needs of the world. What we've seen over the last year is that uh, Reliable supply matters, affordable supply matters. And as we talk about the energy system evolving, and I like to talk about it evolving rather than transitioning, because it will take take time, uh, we also need to work towards an orderly transition 
that doesn't create chaos in, in economies right. around the world. And that means we need to meet the needs today, even as we're building a system that can evolve to a lower carbon state in the future. We saw a very strong nation, Germany, get lucky because of the weather. We, on the other hand, are really, I think, the country that may be the best off of any in the world. How did we get there, given the fact that we were importing a huge amount of oil as recently as, as 12 years ago? Well, we've got a tremendous natural endowment of resources of all types in this country. Uh, it's, it's not just energy resources, but it's other resources. We've got an economy that is second to none in terms of its uh, vibrance, its innovation, uh, the competition, uh, the rule of law. And we've got an energy industry in this country that is the envy of the rest of the world that continues to innovate with technology and, uh, and find new ways to bring energy supplies to market. We're one of the world's largest producers of wind and solar. We're the world's largest producer of ethanol. Well, do you uh, bring these up when you meet with the White House? you meet with the president? Do you talk about this? We engage with the administration uh, the when we have the opportunities. I've, I've not had the opportunity to meet with the president, uh, but we, we speak yeah, to people on, on his, uh, his team. And uh, look, we work towards what we think is a, a balanced and pragmatic approach to energy policy, which recognizes the importance of affordable energy, of reliable and secure energy, and of ever cleaner energy. Is the biggest threat to your company Tesla or the government? Well, gosh. Um, Look, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enormous market. Uh, innovations like electric vehicles, have they solve needs for some customers, but they don't solve the needs for all customers. I think the government uh, has uh, a responsibility to try to engage in balanced policy. I'm not sure I look at either one of them as, as threats as much as their realities in the energy system. We're a part of the energy system, and we need to work uh, with all the different stakeholders when you meet with your board, do you say, listen, we could be out of business by 2030, by 2040, by 2050? Do you talk like that it's an existential issue? There are, there are not credible scenarios that would take the need for oil and gas down to nothing by 2030 or 2040 or 2050. We talk about how we're going to grow our business in both traditional and new energies over that period of time and continue to do it in a way that delivers strong financial performance so that our shareholders are, are rewarded and we create value for shareholders in whatever energy future we experience. How do you uh, weigh uh, a buyback, announcing that buyback, with the idea that we know oil, I mean, it doesn't seem real, but oil could go below 50. You suspend the buyback then or do you say, no, we're going to come in heavy? Absolutely continue the buyback through the cycle. We're, we're not counter-cyclical. We're not pro-cyclical. We've got to buy back shares through the cycle. It's what we've done. And in fact, today we laid out a low case, which is a $50 oil case right. for 25, 26, 27. We still have the capacity to buy back $10 billion a year in shares. We have virtually no net debt at this point. We've got a lot of debt capacity. We've got a lot of cash. We can use that to sustain the buyback, even if free cash flow won't support it. We can do that off the strength of our balance sheet. And in a slightly stronger commodity price environment, we could, we could buy back even more than we right. laid out today. So uh, we've designed the company to reward shareholders through the cycle, because as you said, it's a, it's a long cycle commodity right. business. Well, you know where I stand, so let me ask you a last question. If you, the government levies a windfall profits tax against you, will they give you money when oil drops below 50? History would say that that's, that's unlikely, Jim. I think we should leave it at that, Mike. That's Mike Worth, Chairman and CEO of Chevron. Yes, there are some incredible anomalies when it comes to the oil business. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, does a sell-off in this stock spell opportunity? 
We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Next. We've had some wild action in oil and gas prices over the last few years, and a lot of it comes down to logistics. We have massive amounts of fossil fuels in North America. Yes, Canada and Mexico, but we don't always have the capacity to get where it's needed. Which brings me to Enbridge, the Canadian oil and gas pipeline play with a carbon capture and renewable energy kicker. Unfortunately, our current government isn't, let's say, that friendly to new pipeline construction. It doesn't help that oil and gas are down big from their highs in recent months. While Enbridge has a nearly 7% yield here, some have called the safety of that dividend into question. Not me, though. And that's why tonight we're taking a closer look with Greg Ebel, old friend of the show from many years ago, the new CEO of Enbridge, ahead of the big investor event uh, tomorrow. Get a read of the situation. Mr. Ebel, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to see you, Jim. Thanks very much for having me. Well, it's been way too long, and we had a, uh, you really had a great run of Spectre, fantastic firm, and now you're at Enbridge, and I know tomorrow's your first analyst day. Could you give us a high-level uh, sense of what you're going to talk about? Well, for sure. I mean, the number one thing is we're going to make sure that investors know that uh, we are the first choice for energy delivery in North America for our customers, for, for our investors, for the employees. And increasingly, and you mentioned it, for uh, even for governments who are trying to figure out this really unique energy uh, trilemma of security, affordability, and sustainability. And Enbridge is right at the center of that. So I'm excited about tomorrow. And I think you'll see us announce a few things and uh, give a longer-term view of our growth prospects. Okay. Is there any chance that you could talk about how you might be able to extend uh, crude exports? I know you really... Corpus Christi is really important to you. And we are out of pipelines. If you added some, we could take all the oil that we can't use here and export it. Could Enbridge be as part of that solution? Well, we already are. In fact, in the last uh, year or two, we've picked up uh, Ingleside uh, uh, Export Facility in Corpus Christi, as you point out. That actually exports approximately 30% of all the oil that leaves uh, the country today. And uh, we're really building a really unique uh, Permian super system there. So, you know, we've got customers that want to take uh, our oil to uh, um, uh, um, Corpus Christi and then ship it offshore. We're able to do that. Obviously, our mainline pipeline brings oil down from Canada and fueling the uh, the uh, refineries in Pad 2 and Pad 3. So an exciting time on that front. And let's not forget natural gas in that location, too. We're already connected to four LNG facilities. So whether it's exports of oil or exports to LNG, of, uh, LNG, that's a critical role that we play, and hence that's why the name is Energy Bridge. We're bridging to uh, what people need and what people want. Could you tell people how much energy you move in our country? I think people would be shocked about the percentage of what Enbridge brings. Yeah, you actually mentioned, uh, you know, we are Canadian located, but uh, we're a big player in the United States, and increasingly we're actually in five G7 countries. But just in North America, we move about 20 to 25 percent of the oil and natural gas that moves each and every day in, the, in, the, in North America. That's a critical element. We also run the largest uh, by volume natural gas utility. Uh, we actually uh, serving directly or indirectly about 15 million uh, folks in the Ontario region. So it's a really critical player on the energy infrastructure side. And let's not forget, we've been a big player on the renewable side as well, Jim. So for better part of two decades, we've been in that business. And now we're a top 10 developer of onshore renewables. So whether it's liquids, whether it's gas, whether it's renewables, and increasingly as we look at things like uh, hydrogen 
and ammonia and carbon capture. We're going to be a player in that regard, too. Right, well, I want people to understand that we talked about the export market. But isn't it true, Greg, that if all the pipelines that we wanted to bring to the northeast were able to do it, that we would be completely energy independent in this continent, including supplanting oil that's actually imported to the New England area with natural gas. This is actually a man-made problem, not a natural problem. Yeah, you know, it's uh, as you know, uh, we've had uh, those assets into New England for a very long time. And New England often pays some of the highest prices for natural gas in the world. That's actually ridiculous for those citizens there, right? Through no fault of their own, finding themselves disadvantaged solely because of, uh, of infrastructure. So if you're a Red Sox fan, you shouldn't be too happy that Yankees fans actually get cheaper gas than you do in New England. Quite true. And we like to continue to make a difference in that regard. Okay, so let's talk about exported LNG. If it had been really cold in Europe, what could Enbridge have done to be able to make it so that uh, it's warmer using North American natural gas? So several things. So uh, if we could get, and this might sound a little bit strange, but if we could get LNG off the west coast of Canada, and we've been trying to do that for a decade before it was even uh, legal to export in, uh, in, uh, off the United States, we were trying to do that. That would actually allow some more cargoes from the Gulf Coast, which, as you know, uh, the United States is now the largest exporter of LNG. Those, those, uh, more of those cargoes could have gone to Europe and present, prevent some of the problems that our poor friends in, uh, and allies uh, in Europe have had to deal with. And, you know, we've, been, we've had folks, uh, the, the Chancellor of Germany, the Prime Minister of Japan, come over to North America and ask us for natural gas. And we should, we should respond to those, uh, those calls from our allies, right? We've got the capability, as you know. We've got the resources. We definitely have the export capability. We just need a little bit more help on the uh, getting pipelines into place so that we can feed into those export facilities. It's possible, and frankly, the world's calling us to do it. We should respond. I completely agree. One last thing, Al Monaco, great friend of the show, your predecessor, uh, very proud of the, and the, at the amazing record you have in boosting your dividend. Sometimes I wonder whether the leverage, 4.7 uh, times, you're talking about the lower half of debt to EBITDA range of 4.7, that seems yeah. high. Is there any way that at a certain point you can pay down debt? I know you add a lot of that at the same time as increase the dividend because the stock hasn't gone up as much as it should, I think, because people are worried about that 4.7 number. Yeah, you know, uniquely, uh, we're largely our pipelines are regulated, so you have to carry a certain yeah, amount of that's debt. A so I think some people misunderstand. But remember, since about 2017, we've gone from north of six to now, as you pointed out, sub five. And you know what? We've increased that dividend for over two decades every year. We will continue to do so. We have more than enough to pay that dividend and invest about five or six billion dollars of additional capital on that with self-generated equity. That's right. a really unique position for investors. Well, to almost take nobody is. That's why I've been recommending your stock for ages. It's just too inexpensive. I want to thank Greg Ebel. Welcome back, who's now CEO of Enbridge. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, sir. Great. Thank you, Jim. We have money's packed after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It's time! It's time for the Kramer's Money of the 
and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve Daddy? Time for the lightning round, Kramer's and Money. Let's start with, how about Richard in Virginia? Richard! <laughs> Thanks, Jim, for taking my call. I wanted to talk to you about Eli Lilly, which is in my IRA. Stock goes down every day. It's really starting to really starting to get on my nerves. One of the largest ones ever for the trust. I've got to tell you this. Majorno, I still believe it's going to be the biggest selling drug of all time. No one's listening to me. I don't care. We're going to buy some more at 300 for the Chapel Trust. Let's go to Chris in Illinois. Chris! Jim, booyah. Booyah. Yes, sir. Hey, I'm thinking of adding some Abbott Labs to my kids' portfolios. I think they've done a nice job of diversifying, you know, 10 years post AbV split. I think um, you got horse sense. Oh, okay. See, here's the problem with Abbott. Right now, people are still dealing with a post COVID hangover because they had those tests, you know, the at home. But I think that they may have some new at home tests that are going to blow you away. And I think they've got some very, very good uh, anti diabetes, the Libre, which is smaller now, going to be smaller than Dexcom. I like the stock. Let's go to Dave in Massachusetts. Dave! Hey, hi, Jim. Dave. Jim, I'd like to get your opinion on AD analog devices long term. It's one of the, it had the best quarter. I know people don't understand. It had the best quarter other than NVIDIA of all the semiconductors. That's why I like it. It's industrial ADI. Let's go to Dennis in Oregon. Dennis! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of uh, Dr. Albert Borla, CEO of uh, Pfizer, and uh, I was stunned yesterday with the announcement that Pfizer is considering a 30-plus billion purchase of Segan. That's a biotech up right. in Washington State. Right, Segan, yep, Segan. Uh, it seems expensive, and I'm really concerned about the return on capital on that kind of a purchase. What do you think? Well, I think you have to be concerned. I, I was hoping they could get it for about $10 million less than to talk about. Here's the problem. It shows you that Pfizer's got a weaker pipeline than we thought. Uh, CGen does have some incredible novel anti-tumor uh, formulations, but it did make it concern me, too. You're not getting paid right now to own Pfizer, so we see how much they're going to pay. Let's go to Lenny in New York. Lenny! Hi, Jim. Great show. Your opinion on Admir, Biologics, NASD symbol, ADMA. Local company, uh, hematological. I'll tell you what's really weird about this company. It's one of the few that has defied uh, companies that are losing money. The stock keeps going higher. I think it is a great, not good, but great spec. How about uh, Bashar in Michigan? Bashar. Yeah. How you doing? All right. What's going on? Uh, question for you. My question is regarding spray battery. I've had it for about six months now, and the price has definitely gone down. But lately, yeah, you know, here's the problem. I do love the idea EV and batteries, but we're not recommending stocks that are uh, losing money unless it's a biotech with a very promising pipeline, and that is not that stock. Let's go to Mark in New York. Mark. Booyah, Jim. Thank you so much for Booyah. taking my call. My pleasure. Jim, you, you are so entertaining, so informative. You're the best teacher, and you make it fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and I hope you not and your handsome, family stay not well. Not handsome. I never heard handsome. Did anyone hear handsome? Look, you're on Handsome one, handsome twice. Sold Hello? to Mark in New Hello? York. Mark, what should we do? Yeah, you got me. You got me. Okay. Wow. Um. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the last time you talked about this stock, um, you said, what the heck is it doing uh, below... Uh, 20 and now it's at 16. Is Barrett Gold a uh, 
a great, uh, yes, a great environment. I've that. been wrong. I've been wrong. I'll tell you why I've been wrong. Because the price of gold has been very bad. Not because Barrick's bad. Barrick is a good company. So I continue to recommend G-O-L-D. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Come to praise Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, not to bury him. In fact, I'm sick and tired of hearing that Mark somehow checked out a wayward executive who's missing the mark on so many levels, if not missing in action entirely. Will Salesforce miss the quarter when it reports tomorrow? I got no idea. Will it show a slowdown in spending on marketing that's likely to hurt their core customer relations business? Most likely, that's their milieu. You can't outrun your milieu. Has Benioff taken no action to deal with the downturn? That is a totally false narrative. Even though I hear it all the time. Right now, Wall Street's rewarding companies that are firing people aggressively. I mean, meat axe layoffs. While buying back stock, reporting real profit, being a ton of growth. What's Benioff done? How about everything? Firing 10% of the workforce, kind of like what the French army allegedly did to its own soldiers in World War I, past glory layoffs. He's buying back $10 billion worth of stock. He's in there buying. He's retired two outstanding but aged board members, Alan Hastenfeld, who helped build Hasbro, and Sandy Robertson, at one time the dean of Silicon Valley investors. I know him because he helped bring the street.com public. Mark got rid of them both and put on some excellent board members, including one nominated by one of the five activist firms circling the stock like sharks. I think maybe they put on another one, but maybe someone whose genuine tech knowledge is so powerful that only to be exceeded by how tough that person is. Make them lead director. Great idea. Yeah, we all know that Mark is a big personality. Should be paying Matthew McConaughey $10 million to be creative director and TV pitchman. Uh, unlike many of his critics, I've had dinner with Matthew several times, and he's got a ton of very cool ideas for a business that lacks cool ideas. Do not be fooled by his ability to play a zoned-out stoner that's acting in reality. He's a very smart guy, a great writer, by the way, a great thinker. And I mean genuinely smart, not just Hollywood smart, much better than most of the thinkers hired to come up with marketing ideas. Did many have hired too many people since the start of the pandemic, 30,000 new workers, 60% increase? Of course he did. Practically everyone else made the same mistake. Where's the carping about Alphabet or Amazon? Did he have a wellness retreat? Indeed. But again, he's not alone. Did he have an in-house barista bar? Heck, not long ago, Goldman Sachs had a barber and a sushi bar. Did he build the tallest building in San Francisco, much of which is currently unused? Yeah. But there's no way he could have known we were headed for a pandemic that would create a work-from-home, the last of us mentality towards cities across America. Here's what I know. I had Benioff on this show in the dark days of 2008 when a ton of companies in his area were going under. His stock was at eight bucks. He traced a vision right then when the world was betting against him that he would transform Salesforce into the dominant enterprise software company of our time. He would have the fastest software company to hit one billion in revenue, then five, then 10, then 25. Okay, totally called shots. He blew all of those targets away. You know what? I think he's going to blow away the $30 billion target when he reports earnings tomorrow. Give you 17% growth. Very large company, 17% growth. Sure, the stock went too high at the peak. It was all Icarus at 312 Maybe an absurd price. Now it's back to 163 Better price. Still up huge from where it was trading in 2008 when he made his called shot. Find me a tech stock that didn't have a similar trajectory. Benioff, not perfect. Along the way, he may have overpaid for some acquisitions, although he sure knew not to buy Twitter. Hey, I don't see a horde of activist investors trying to tear Elon Musk apart. 
Betty Alf established a language that you see on a preponderance of college resumes these days when kids are graduating, fluent in Salesforce. Go ask an executive how their sales are doing after bringing in Salesforce. I've done it twice, 25% lifts on average. So feel free to make fun of so-called hack pitch man Matthew McConaughey, although if he's a hack, what the heck are the rest of us? Laugh at terms like Ohana, Make jokes about how Benioff can't keep a co-CEO, even as the last one retired because he was chairman of Twitter. Can't blame the guy for retiring after he established himself as one of the toughest execs of our time by taking on and beating Elon Musk. All I know is I wish there were more Benioffs, not just because he's funny and brilliant and kind, one of the most charitable execs in the country, but because he's bankable as all get out. Remember, we are about making money here, not friends. And historically, it's been a real bad idea to bet against Mark Benioff, even as he is, yes, indeed, someone I am proud to call a friend. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.